Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And, well, we're all feeling slightly better, I think, than Monday. Or maybe slightly worse. It depends just how deep we've been thinking about it. Carl Anker is back with us today and he's been thinking about it a lot because he's written article after article about Sunday's showing against Brighton. We'll get into that, of course. Uh, there's updates on transfers. There always is, of course, in a summer transfer window. But this week of all weeks... There's been some interesting developments since we recorded on Monday as well. We'll talk about Arnautovic, De Jong, Rabiot and others. And we'll also preview the Brentford game this weekend as well towards the end of the podcast. So stay with us for that. But we always have a little chat before these podcasts start. Um, it can be random. This week it was definitely random. We all worked out that we'd got some sort of Manchester United spot from normal life in the last few days. Um, Andy Mitten is with us as well, and Carl Anker, as I've introduced already. Good morning to both of you. Carl, what was your random Manchester United spot for the listeners? I bumped into a new attacking coach, Benny McCarthy, getting a coffee around Deansgate. Nice. He looked very well. I gave him the old uh, friendly nod and the thumbs up, and he responded in kind. Very nice too. I saw Christian Eriksen taking his shopping out of his supermarket trolley and putting it into his boot. And it was so methodical, I could see how he's going to pull the strings in Manchester United's midfield this season. It gave me real faith that good times are ahead. <laughs> Andy, what was your random spot? Benny McCarthy's looking for a car. So if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> remember like in, in the 80s when Manchester United had a basketball team and the players had... Driving this car is Jeff Jones, sponsored by Old Trafford Larder or <laughs> something like that. We need to get Benny I don't a car. remember that, but I wish I did. Yeah, you still see it at smaller clubs, um, like local car dealerships give give players a car and they've got the names on the side or local D. Jeff Davis Motors <laughs> sponsors Andy Mitten. Lo- yeah. Local DJs, you know, <laughs> from, yeah. from the local nice. de- dealership. Um, I've not spotted anyone. Uh, a friend of mine's mother spotted Eric Ten Hag in a supermarket last Thursday and she sent a very positive report back to him in a very mumsy style which was he seems nice I mean how does she know that she never spoke to him he's tall and slim which is such a mumsy (laughs) thing to say I don't think any of my mates would describe someone as, as, as tall and slim but I think because he was tall and slim that was positive yeah, it seems it, doesn't it? She also uh, thought that it was the first time in his in the supermarket because he was asking for things. So he was unsure. He wasn't sure where things were. <laughs> where things were. So I'm sure this is going to be on the front page of the New York Times tomorrow because it's groundbreaking news. But I, I, on a serious note, I like the fact that the manager is leading a normal life with his family in the city where he's now working. Good for him. I hope it works out for him. And even last week when I tweeted that he'd been spotted, 
somebody said, English tabloids are a disgrace. I'm like, look, mate, I've just said he's been spotted in a supermarket. I've not said where the supermarket is. I've not said that he goes to this specific supermarket to buy Dutch pancakes at 8.05 every morning. I've been quite responsible in the way this this groundbreaking news has been uh, reported. But yeah, if I hear anything back, I will report back. I look forward to it already. And indeed, listeners, if you've spotted any Manchester United footballers down the years in really boring situations, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you, of course. Um, speaking of boring situations, we've gone over and over the weekend, haven't we, really? And I think the only thing we need now, Carl, is another match, isn't it? Just to get us away from it, because it was only 90 minutes. Yes, it wasn't a great start. And yes, it's given us a lot of concerns. You've written about some of them. But um, it's early days, isn't it? Eric Ten Hag's going to need time, like we were saying on Monday's show. Yeah, Eric Ten Hag not being able to find certain products in a supermarket in Manchester. The uh, jokes write themselves. <laughs> I've, I've, I've watched back the Brighton game. Uh, and yeah, I think one thing that really sticks out is how the, the bottom falls out of a lot of the tactical schemes and all United players once they go a goal down, you can really see that confidence is quite still quite brittle. Uh, and a lot of players have like a soft, oh no, it's not again reaction as things kick off. And, and indeed, I think quite a few fans probably had that reaction after Brighton went 2-0 up. Uh, so I think, yeah, absolutely. Roll on to the next game. Looking forward to Ten Hag's press conference on Friday and just seeing what happens next. Yeah, Andy, there's a real bubbling of discontent among the fan base again as well, which was stirred up obviously at the weekend. Um, a member of the Glazer family being at the game didn't help that necessarily from a United perspective. And there's genuine concerns, genuine annoyance, and maybe some genuine momentum towards sort of these protests growing now as this season starts, given some of the comments that were on English television over the weekend as well. Well, there was a protest even before the game Yes, on Saturday. Um, a lot of fans walked from Salford Keys towards Old Trafford, made their feelings very clear about the Glazer family, about their ownership of Manchester United. After the game, Gary Neville, I think Gary spoke for a lot of fans when he said, the time's up, enough's enough. Um, this just isn't working out. Sell up, get out. And I think a lot of fans would agree with that. I don't know any fans who wouldn't agree with that. And after the defeat uh, to Brighton, the mood just slumped. And a lot of the anger was directed towards uh, the owners. Uh, it, it was just very frustrating, as we spoke about on Monday. And there was a lot of raw emotion in the podcast on on Monday. But it still doesn't feel great to me now, a few days later. I'm not thinking we're going into Brentford and everything's going to be fine. And it was just a blip. Uh, I remember when United in 92-93 didn't win in the first three matches. They lost the first two, two games. But... You knew fundamentally that it was a really good side. You knew that, whoa, this is freakish. This shouldn't be happening. And United did actually win the league that year for the first time in 26 years. There's not that confidence in the current um, setup. Um, I think you cannot judge a manager after one game. You're entitled to make opinions, absolutely. And we did that on Monday, and that's all fair comment. The man's got to be backed. He's a good manager. He's a good coach. And... He needs time. This isn't going to happen overnight. There's going to be setbacks. And I just feel that United, have, they've got to get some points on the board. Another defeat to Brentford and there will be mutiny in the air. And and then you've got the prospect of Liverpool. Then you've got Leicester away. Then you've got Arsenal. I think there's a game against Southampton away in there because obviously it's August. But that, that'll be one all because every game... <laughs> Wait, Southampton is always a draw. Bring Dan James back to scoring that one. Yep. Yeah. 
Carl, are we just being jumpy because of last season? You sort of mentioned about the players' confidence being brittle. It almost feels like everyone's confidence is a bit brittle. Um, and I'm wondering whether the fact that it that game against Brighton felt like just a mere continuation of last year, that that's actually made everything worse. I think it was the manner of the defeat. So if, if Manchester United lost 2-1 to Brighton and the things you saw in pre-season were still there. If if you know it were counter pressing and if, if you, you were seeing the inverted fullback still play, then it would have been easy to go, okay, well, you know, anti Marshall was injured and there was no one playing up top and it's just on to the next one. It's one bad thing. But it's the manner in which United was so totally nullified against Brighton. So first, you know, that, that three box three Graham Potter sets up in the midfield and overload on the left-hand side. And you're going, oh, okay, well, Dallow, Dallow's look good at right back. You should be able to handle this. And then you go, Dallow's looking quite naive again. Or the idea that you know, Harry Maguire's been playing all of preseason on right centre-back to prepare for when Lissandro Martinez arrives. And then if you look at the second goal, his positioning is quite poor. He's stood where the left centre-back should be right in front of Lissandro Martinez, which made me go, is... is why has Maguire forgotten everything he's learned at preseason about his new position? And that's, that's the, that was the concerning thing. Not necessarily you lost, but the fact you lost and immediately reverted back to the old practices. Um, I'm sure that's going to be something that Ten Hag's going to work on the training field a lot. I can't imagine. I would very much imagine Harry Maguire's been showed clips of that second goal and, and told, you're not a left centre-back anymore. I'm you know, getting your right position. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But I am beginning to get jitters about the squad in a way I wasn't jittery about because the preseason performances were so good. What the jitters? So, so you're watching those preseason games, and it wasn't just you know being Liverpool's B or C team, but you're going. We weren't getting okay, carried was, away at that point, though, were we? I wasn't getting carried no. away. I wasn't getting carried away. But you were watching that team going. They seem absolutely sorted at left back. Shaw's going to be good, and if Shaw doesn't come good, Malasia can step in. You, I was watching going, Dallow seems to be kicking on at right back. I'm also going, yeah, this Fred and Scott McTominay partnership knows how to counter-press at the very least now, how to how to win the ball back. And Sancho looked properly good on the right-hand side. And then against Brighton, oh, he, he, very few passages of play got to Jadon Sancho in the way he did in preseason. And you're going, do Manchester United need another dynamic attacking player? Do Manchester United need an upgrade at right back? Do Manchester United need more than one central midfield player, you've only got a month left to do it. This is quite concerning, yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're all feeling that, definitely. Uh, we spoke about it a little bit on Monday's show. We'll talk about transfers in a moment um, as the search goes on <laughs> and on and on and on. You've written two articles since Brighton, Carl, that I think are worth mentioning at this point. Why Ten Hag's Ericsson as a false nine experiment didn't come off. That's on The Athletic right now. And also, the McFred partnership is still holding United back. Um, can we talk about the false nine experiment? It seemed like something Ten Hag felt like he had to do to maintain the momentum from pre-season and also have that continuity of, of Sancho and Rashford in those wide areas, Bruno Fernandes behind the striker as well, because those three in conjunction with Martial Andy had worked so well that he didn't want to disrupt the other three of that four. Losing Martial was a blow because he would have started uh, against Brighton, but the fact that United uh, ended up playing Christian Eriksen as a false nine shows how weak United's forwards line is and why Manchester United have been looking to bring him 
another forward weak in terms of personnel weak in terms of of stature and Cristiano Ronaldo in the eyes of the manager and I think it's fair uh, wasn't fit to play 90 minutes I don't think it was a personal slight against him I felt that he felt with good reason that he'd not done a full pre-season and he wasn't ready and I think just losing Mar- um, Martial so so close to the first game of the season was a blow but that doesn't negate the other factors Carl's took on touched on the tactical side of it and we did ourselves on Monday that Graham Potter did a number on on Manchester United. Um, One thing I've thought about in the last couple of days is United need to get Varane back in that team. He's one of the best defenders in the world. I don't buy this line that Madrid let him go because he was past it. I know exactly what went on at Madrid because I wrote a huge article about it for the Athletic and I spoke to the people there. Rafael Varane is one of the best central defenders in the world and we've yet to see it at, at, at Manchester United. So would you would you bring Rafael Varane in at right side in the back over Maguire? When I've asked about Varane, Carl, the issue has always been fitness and Eric Tenag has spoken about a, a tailored pre-season for him and he was injured too much last year. I think he started half of the... In his 17 games? Exactly, and that's too many. That's too many. I'm, I'm not being an apologist for him now. I, I spoke to him... In May, and he admitted, look, this hasn't been a good season. He didn't wish to be uh, injured. Um, l- last week, I spoke to about um, how highly Victor Lindelof is rated on the podcast. And I was stunned when I looked at the match day squad and he wasn't in it. I thought, whoa, what's going on here? But it, it, I thought, is, that a, is that a snub? But it, it wasn't. It was, um, it was an injury. So Lindelof, I think, would have started. Uh, so he's, he's lost two players there in the week before... The, the opening uh, game. Now, look, it's Brighton. Brighton sold their best two players. Brighton didn't even add uh, to to their squad in, in the summer. Whichever way you look at it, um, it was horrendous. And I know that Brighton's players were told before the game, this is how we do Man United. They were given very specific information of how you play Man United, and it worked. Now, I'm sure... Manchester United were given very specific information about Brian and Ovalbion as well. Someone had said to me a couple of weeks before the game, we'll do Brighton, no problem. Like, okay, you know. Also remember Andreas Pereira telling me two weeks before the opening game of the 2019 season, we'll destroy Chelsea. Trust me, we'll destroy Chelsea. But okay, Andreas, what have you been on? Oh, no. And then United put a four past Chelsea. So he was right and I was wrong. Look, that result on Sunday was a stinker. It was an absolute stinker and the United world has come crashing down. Doesn't mean the club's finished. There's always an overreaction on on social media. There's allowed to be an inquest. That's natural for fans to feel frustrated, to feel annoyed, but it was only one game. But there is a mood when United lose a match, especially the first game of the season, especially at home to... Club like Brighton, Little Brighton. Actually, Brighton are a really good team. We've said that. It was bad, bad, bad. Just one point then before we move it on and talk about something else. The false nine thing, Carl. Why do you think it didn't work? And will it be used again, in your opinion? Uh, So it seemed as if Ten Hag wanted Ericsson to to drop deep, close to the centre circle, whereupon Bruno Fernandes and Scott McTominay would crash into the area right in front of the area. So, you know, Ericsson drops deep, drags a Brighton defender, one fills in the space. What happened was Brighton were wise to it very quickly as to what was going on. Moses Cancelo cuts out a long ball over to Scott McTominay. 
90 seconds in uh, and another one gets intercepted by Brighton's back three three minutes in and every single Brighton player goes oh well there's the gap that Scott McTominay used to be standing in or Bruno Fernandes used to be standing should we get a quick overload over to our left hand side and it just left United really nullified Ericsson's off the ball movement in the first 20 minutes was quite good but he was making a lot of runs that weren't being picked up by teammates so there's one incident not too long after Brighton clear their lines and the ball goes out wide to Diogo Dallo Ericsson understands he's in a congested area tries to peel off really opening up a, a passing channel for across towards Marcus Rashford and Dallow just dawdles dawdles on the ball passes back to Harry Maguire and it just recycles the play the key thing to being a false nine isn't it's not just I'm going to play not a striker it's making sure that pl- player is being a nuisance and constantly dragging defenders out of position so other teammates in and around the space can fill in if those teammates don't fill in and those teammates don't understand the runs then what you've got is very little penetration in central areas uh, and just a lot of recycle possession doing nothing. I think by halftime, Brighton had more touches in the Manchester United penalty box than the other way around. And that's just it. And you think they'll do it again? I can't. Not specific to Brentford, but using it in the future. Is it a system that Tanaga go back to, do you think? I cannot see that happening again with the squad the way it is. Um, if they've used Bruno Fernandes as a false nine, I reckon he'd use a very different style of false nine. But there are so many weaknesses in central midfield areas as it, as it is right now that it'd be unwise to, to try Ericsson as false nine again. Okay. If you want to know more about Carl's take on the false nine experiment, as we've been calling it, go and have a look at The Athletic right now. Remember, you can subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months. That's an offer to new subscribers. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up to get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It might be two a week, it might be the second podcast, there might not be much of an update, but it's time for this. Andy, I said there's not much of an update, there's not much of an update on Frankie de Jong, is there? Uh, I'll tell you stuff that I'd, I've learned this week, um, Joan Laporta the Barcelona president likes Frankie de Jong a lot. Uh, a major issue uh, for Frankie de Jong are his, are his wages internally. Um, he earns two to three times what some of the other players get paid. 
at Barcelona, and I've made notes here because I'm a good journalist, um, they had 11 or 12 players earning more than 20 million uh, euros uh, when they started realising they had to get rid of these players. More than half of them have gone. Um, Frankie de Jong is still one of those players, clearly internally within a dressing room. If you know that someone is earning three times more than you and he's on the bench and you're starting, then that, that causes conflict. Uh, I probably made eight or nine points about Frankie de Jong in Monday's podcast and I back, I back everything that I said there. Every, all the information was well sourced. I, I speak um, to people on both sides and but in Barcelona and, and in Manchester on this one. It's quite frustrating as a journalist when you see aggregator accounts take a point that you've made and isolate it and put it out there and then take another point you've made, which is the opposite of another point you've made and try to make you look stupid. Especially when they contradict each other, eh? Yeah, but of the nine points I made, I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm giving you nine pieces of information. This isn't a clear-cut path to signing a player. It's not my job to deliver news that you want to hear. My job is to deliver news. <laughs> and unfortunately, sometimes that news might not be what you want to hear. It's all right when you say, you know, this is good news you all like, or here's an interview with someone you all like, and people say, great, great, great. That's not the job of a journalist to, to do that. Um, Manchester United have got a deal with Football Club Barcelona to sign Frankie de Jong. And there's no point in me going through all the nine points that I made on Monday. I think what happens now is be really interesting to see if he starts against Real Vallecano on Saturday night. That's the thing to keep an eye out for, isn't it? I was told no. All right, so let's see. And what's happening with registering the players? I was told this week uh, we're going to register. We think we're going to be able to register all of the players before the weekend. Mm -hmm. That's what I was told. That's not me saying that's going to happen. No, no, no. no yeah. That's someone saying we think we're going to be able to register the players before the weekend. Barcelona and Real Madrid tend to get what they want. Spanish clubs are subject to the strictest financial fair play rules in Europe. On Monday, Manchester United were linked with a player from Real Betis. I get on really well with Betis. They invited me on their pre-season last year with the team. Guido Rodriguez, wasn't it? Yeah, I spoke to Real Betis uh, at a very high level. And this was news to them and I trust them. And they're like, where's this information coming from? And then I look at it and they're like, is this a journalist or just someone like looking for attention? The fact is Real Betis need to sell their players to get under the financial fair play rules. But I found no evidence at all from either side that Manchester United were interested in signing him. What I then got was, do you think there actually is interest? <laughs> <laughs> because he's a good player. And uh, he, he, Should there be interest? He, he, he'd, he'd improve your team. <laughs> and it's not my team, mate. I'm just, ask, just asking. Uh, I also spoke to PSV Eindhoven. Again, about a player who's been linked. There's been no official bid there from Manchester United. You wouldn't expect there to be a bid either. That's PSV managed by Ruud van Nistelrooy, who played Glasgow Rangers next week. So I'm going to work up a piece about that for, for the Athletic. And there's a lot of transfer nonsense around. Do you think that that it is that it is nonsense that United are interested in Cody Gadpo, or do you think no. there is potentially mileage in that? I think there's potentially mileage in it, um, and I'm just going to check as I speak to you because I know these type of things get completely picked up. Um, yeah, there's there's there's, there's definitely um, interest in him, as there is with um, Adrian Rabiot. There's advanced discussions there, but yeah, there's there's interest in 
in the player at PSV, but I've got no evidence of uh, of any offer being made at all. Maybe before next week's podcast, I'll have some more information there. I'll we'll look forward to that. Carl, um, did the mention of Rabio have you frothing at the mouth? You were warning people on Twitter you were going to have your say on this player on this podcast. Shoot. It'd be embarrassing if it wasn't sad, and it'd be sad if it wasn't maddening. It's I, I understand. I'm going to wheel back now. On Friday, I went to the, Eric Ten Hag's very first press conference as Manchester United United before a game, and he was asked about the central midfield situation. He was asked about transfer targets, and Ten Hag said... It's not about bringing in a player. They have to be the right player. So that's your Friday. And then on Monday, we first see news, David Ornstein reported that there's interest in Adrian Rabiot. And I keep falling down by how those two events happened. I do not understand what makes a Manchester United manager or Manchester United recruitment team spend so long trying to get Frankie de Jong and then say, we're willing to wait as long as we get the right person to then 48 hours later say we are interested, not well, not say we're interested, but for them reports to come out and say you're interested in Adrian Rabio because they are two very different players. There is a tiny, you know, if you squint really hard and, and tilt your head and, and get your calculator out and watch loads of match footage, you can kind of see how those two players might complement each other if they both arrive at the same time. It, well, I, I was going to say, I, I presumed and that is a very strong use of the word presumed, I guess, that Rabiot and Dion could <laughs> both happen, if potentially. There's a fantastic piece on the FA right now from James Horncastle explaining Adrian Rabiot, and he says he's a, he's a really tall, elegant player, but he's not particularly technical. He's got, he's tall and slim. He's got, uh, he's, he's got a, a good, good stamina and, and, and can do a little bit of everything. Tall and slim. And if you read that description... And you talk to Juventus fans and you talk to PSG fans about how he's not really got a best position. He's kind of a six. He's kind of an eight. He, can't, he actually prefers playing outside areas. But his big thing is he puts in a tackle uh, and he passes pretty safe. My response is, well, United just had that player. They've just sold him to Fulham. He's called Andreas Pereira. Why? Other than the fact that Rabiot is left-footed, what, what are you bringing him in for? Now, I did talk to Ten Hag on Friday about why... He keeps using left-footed players in deep positions. And Ten Hag mentioned that it's really important for him to have a left-footed player because it helps with orientation and defence. And he passes out. To which you would go, okay, but you've got a left-footed player in deeper areas. That's Martinez and now that's Fred. So then you go, would a pivot of Rabiot on the left of central midfield next to someone like Christian Eriksen make sense? So Eriksen sort of passes and Rabiot tackles a little bit. But again, it doesn't necessarily fix a lot of the issues you saw on Sunday, which is progressive passing. Rabiot is not a progressive passer. He's not someone who can get you the ball from the edge of your penalty area to the edge of the other person's penalty area. And while he's aggressive, he's not an outstanding tackler. So this is everything about this Rabiot deal smells off. Maybe Manchester United really have been tracking Rabiot for this long. I don't know why you would. And it's very hard for me to understand that you'd be tracking in the same summer you've been tracking Frankie de Jong. He's not a good plan B for Frankie de Jong, what Frankie de Jong does. Nor is he the exceptional midfield partner for Frankie de Jong. He's an upgrade on Fred and Scott McTominay, but not in the way you would want to upgrade Fred and Scott McTominay. So why are Manchester United, in the middle of August, pursuing a man in his late 20s and a year left on his contract at Juventus for, I'm going to assume, premium wages, 
that doesn't necessarily solve all the problems of their squad. You can't spend that long doing research and then go, yeah, Rabio's the guy. And if you do, that should be setting off alarm bells. Big ones. It smacks of what we've seen of for years, which is late transfers coming in. I, I can 100% understand why United want Frankie de Jong, and you used the word technical. He's an extremely technical player. It was put to me that where Scott McTominay would take two or three touches, de Jong's already decided where his first touch is going before he's even received the ball. And, and that really made it clear to me. And it was also put to me that at his best, Paul Pogba could do that, but we didn't see that happening. So fans now are thinking that United are panicking in the, in the transfer window. Up to a month ago, I said there was no plan B. Now there clearly is a plan B. The first I heard of uh, Arnautovic was in Oslo. Um, so that that's relatively late on as well. To be fair, I spoke to someone at another club on Monday who explained how difficult the strikers market is at the moment and how they had put six months into it ahead of last year and just saying it's a really complicated market at the moment, the strikers market. But none of this is going to wash if Manchester United don't bring a striker in because it's still Manchester United. It's still one of the biggest football clubs in the world. And it's the same with the midfield. Um, I wrote a pretty optimistic piece about Fred before the game at the weekend and I just felt it imploding during the match against Brighton, like, like the team. I think that Scott McTominay does have a place at Manchester United. I'm just not saying that should be first team starter all the time because it is it's a downgrade or a downy grady on what we've had in the in the past. And I've seen a lot this week which United players will get into a best Premier League 11. And it's a really interesting question to ask because so few of them would at the moment on their current level on their current stock. I also spoke to someone else on Tuesday who knows a lot more than I do. And that person said the the players at United are not as bad as some of the fans are saying. It's more about you've got to get a team spirit together. You've got to get that collective working together. And I found that quite interesting. It's like you don't write all of of, of these players. We were interested in one of them earlier on in in the season. They're not as bad as people think they are. We're just talking about this now from a position of weakness after that Brighton game. I think I've said this on the podcast before when Jesse Lingard was playing really well for West Ham or when Romelu Lukaku was playing really well for Inter Milan the first stint. There are clearly talented individuals at Manchester United and a lot of those deals in isolation make sense. It's just when you put that all together as a a level, you put that all together as a squad, all you can see is the disjointed seams of manager who comes in with a different managerial plan for the last one, with a different managerial plan for the last one. And what you get are these, what Laurie described on Monday as the pragmatic short-term purchases. Why is Eric Bailly still at Manchester United? They gave Eric, they extended Eric Bailly's contract because they wanted to protect his value. And then when Harry Maguire was injured last season, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer preferred a half-fit Harry Maguire over Eric Bailly. And we have reports that Eric Bailly essentially stood up in the dressing room afterwards and just went, why did you do that? I'm fully fit. And he, you know, no disrespect to, to any of those three parties, but it's those sorts of situations. And yes, you know, Manchester United apparently seem to be interested in Cody from PSV. He's a very good left-sided attacker. And then you go, 
what does that do to the rest of your squad? I think if United went to PSV and signed Ruud van Nistelrooy as a centre-forward at the moment, there wouldn't be many people complaining. <laughs> you make lots of points, sir. Um, Eric Bailly, United would sell him tomorrow, OK? There, yep. There's been interest in him this, this summer, but clubs are coming in and offering €2 million, Euros, two million pounds, or they're offering a loan with really low numbers. And United's perspective on this, and I get this, is if you're paying little for someone, even on a loan deal, you've got less of an obligation to, to play the, the player. He shouldn't have been given a new contract. Uh, he doesn't have a future at Manchester United. In his mind, he absolutely did going into this pre-season. And now the reality is, is striking. We touched on it in previous podcasts. United are doing this from a position of weakness, just as they can't offer Frankie de Jong Champions League football, which is a big deal. So people who laugh at you know, the race for the top four, it is actually a big deal in, in the eyes of a player who wants to play in the Champions League. It's a big deal for Cristiano Ronaldo. He wants to be in the Champions League. And if Eric Bailly um, goes, the problem is, and the reason I say if, is they earn that much money because they're almost at the top of the transfer tree or the top of the wage structure, it's a problem for United to shift on. This has been a problem for a decade now. The best example of this was Luis Nani. He earned so much money that United had to subsidise 75% of his wages when he went to sporting. And this hasn't really changed. And this is what happens when you've got a team full of superstars who finish sixth. Nobody wants them. Now, the response to that is, by the time Ten Hag was announced, we knew Manchester United wouldn't be in the Champions League. Ten Hag gave a very detailed plan. A very detailed plan. It's the idea that you should put Manchester United keep pausing when you hope they would pivot. Um, and another good example of, of a situation we're currently in is Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams started off as a right back in United's Academy and someone in United's Academy went, Ethan Laird is there. You should probably play left back. Plays at left back. Luke Shaw gets injured. Brandon Williams plays a number of games in that Europa League run and he gets his contract extended. That contract is thought to be beyond the realm of teams outside of European competition in the Premier League. So last season, Southampton came calling and wanted to get him on loan and essentially balked at the price of his wages. Is that Brandon Williams' fault? He's a player who essentially has been fast-tracked to the first team due to his willingness to take up a position someone else didn't and then played a number of games almost by default because Luke Shaw was injured and Manchester United had no cover and then went into that contract negotiation and, and did very well for himself. But also now he's second, third choice at left back and he's third choice at right back and he's he would be the highest paid player in a number of clubs in the bottom half, which is where he needs to play. I'm sounding a lot more annoyed at Manchester United than I should be, but I am getting this thing of Ten Hag is one man and you need to have many, 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 many more intelligent people around him so Ten Hag can do the things he's good at. And it doesn't seem like that's happening. I think United would have got would have sold Brandon Williams as far back as 2020. I know, I know for a fact United would have done. United felt he was a £20 million Premier League class player. Not good enough to play for Manchester United. So was that the right or wrong judgment? He played in the Premier League last year for Norwich City. He's an English player. There tends to be a premium on English players. What is he worth when you see some of the other transfer fees? Well, Southampton paid something like 15 million quid for Gavin Bazunu, who, so, in fairness, started the season as their first-choice goalkeeper, but had never made a first-team appearance for Manchester City or had ever played in the Premier League before. So, I can see, I can so see on that basis, logic. he's worth more than and, that. And United did get 10 million for Andreas Pereira. I'm not going to defend the recruitment um, or the way that 
contracts are, are dished out because it's almost indefensible. It's been it has been that bad. Um, we should also not make snap judgments after one game about the players who've come in this summer. Christian Eriksen may be a very good signing. Lissandro Martinez may be a really good signing. Terrell Malassia. I liked Eriksen might be a in really the second a good half signing. especially. You know, we've got we've got to be making judgments of these at 10, 12 games in. And even with the transfer window, let it finish first. I know everyone's frustrated. I'm frustrated, but just let it finish first. And even then, don't make a snap judgment because we did that last year. Because we, the Sancho and Ronaldo and Varane had come in. Hey, we're flying now, we're cooking, let's go for the title. And that was completely misplaced. The new players should be given time. But we're talking always underneath this cloud, the cloud of the ownership, the cloud of the poor results. United haven't won an away game since February. This transfer section has been really chunky. And I'm really, really worried about this next uh, line of questioning because I feel like it's going to open a can of worms as well. You mentioned Marko Arnautovic before, Andy. Uh, Laurie reported on Tuesday on The Athletic that United had pulled out of a deal for him, citing, of course, the fact that he'd got quite expensive and more expensive than United were willing to go to. But also, he wrote, it's understood United received a number of complaints from fans about the idea of signing the 33-year-old and that wasn't to do with his quality necessarily but more with his background. Um, should we be encouraged by the club reacting to, to fans' feedback or does that show that the interest in Marko Arnautovic should have been stronger to get to this point? They should have known about these issues and if they thought he was the right player, they should have already made a judgment call before trying to progress the transfer. I'm in two minds here. I think, one, well, Laurie broke the story that United were not going to sign him in, in, in the Athletic. Trial by fans on social media definitely has risks, but when you look at some of the things that Arnautovic said, they're pretty indefensible. And Manchester United tend to be quite cautious in terms of the background checks and your point, should those background checks have been done on him? Yes, they should have. Because the scrutiny when you're at a club like Manchester United is higher than anywhere in the world. And a lot of fans have complained with good reason. Some of his comments are absolutely horrendous, which he's made in the past. Alleged comments, some of them, but some of the other stuff is not the sort of stuff you want near near a football club. Combine that with the fact that he is the age he's at. Again, I spoke to another, another person who played against him. It was like, what on earth are Manchester United um, doing here? Um, he's someone who's all about himself and not about a team. So it makes you wonder how much background had gone in to Arnautovic. Again, Ten Hag's pushing all of this. And maybe it was um, an awakening for him in terms of if you're signing a play for Manchester United, it's much better if they've got no no skeletons in in, in their closet. Yeah. Carl? Yeah, I I agree with Andy. It's good that Manchester United U-turned, in my opinion. I think Arnautovic on the field is not the sort of player Manchester United need and off the field it would be um, somewhat depressing and difficult for me to report on a man who's been accused of the things he's been accused of but it also brings up some very interesting questions as to how the recruitment quality is going on at Manchester United Ten Hag strikes me as a person who has watched a lot of Dutch football and a lot of the Eredivisie because that was his job for the last five years and has 
possibly enter the situation where he's not getting the targets he wants and, and is now having to, to dust through the phone book, which is alarming. Even if it wasn't out of it, the fact you're going, okay, well, you're looking at a player who, yeah, you, can, you and Steve McLaren worked with him, but it was at 20, more than a decade ago, a decade ago, and that's a club the size and scope and with the ambitions of Manchester United cannot be operating in that manner. And, and the fact that they possibly might have operated in that manner, again, is setting off alarm bells. To sum it up, Carl, the Athletic staff have published a rundown of what each club needs to do with the time remaining in this summer transfer window. Carl, you've written Manchester United, and I quote from your article, back to the drawing board with three weeks left. If you th- if you think about the players we, we discussed and the weaknesses we discussed after the last Brighton game, the 4-0, we, we discussed weaknesses at fullback, we discussed weaknesses in central midfield, and we discussed weaknesses at wide, and all of those things are still here after another defeat to Brighton. And you've had more than 100 days to fix this. Again, I'm like a really annoyed school teacher. I'm not, I'm mad, and I'm also quite disappointed. We'll leave it there. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, well, we've just got enough time to squeeze in a match preview of the Brentford game this weekend, Andy. Um, a well-run club, seemingly punching above their weight in the Premier League, making the most of the resources with a manager who seems to be growing in reputation. Uh, the team name begins with B. I'm trying to think of any other similarities. They're playing stripes. Um, they're in the south of England. Um, could Brentford be Brighton all over again? They are all of those things that you said, and they've got a new stadium. They've still got the buzz. Um about that. I think they did really well to establish themselves in the Premier League uh, last season. They were defeated twice by uh, Manchester United. <laughs> yes, United really did take six points off one club last year. Uh, really enjoyed interactions with Brentford fans. Just been invited down to a pub before the game on Saturday. And I, I think that's fantastic. That, that This is a side which people... Are you going then, Andy? I've... On Saturday night, I have been asked to go and watch um, a footballer called um, Frankie de Jong. (laughs) 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 The reason I was asking that was because we had a bit of drama last season, didn't we, with your trips to Brentford? There was, of of course, the the absolute standout line that you once broke into the stadium to take a picture of the empty pitch, which was quite a revelation. Um, And obviously, you travelled across for the initial match at Brentford, which was uh, postponed because of COVID, I, I should say, allegedly broke into the stadium. Uh, yeah, no particular laws were broken uh, by Mr. Mitten at, at uh, 
such juncture. But um, I've still not been to the ground. You know, say you couldn't get <laughs> no. over them for the game be rearranged, could no. you? So I, I actually thought maybe you would be at no. the match this week. I'll, but after this one, Alas. I've got a run of of matches. I feel like I spent the whole of July tra- uh, traveling and my family. Dis- that's because you did. <laughs> that's because I did. Uh, my great excuse is yeah, that is also my my job love, um, which my wife's fine with. But after this, uh, I've got a run of, of Man- Why did you say it so quietly, Manchester then? United matches, in case she's listening to me. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> look at me getting really defensive here. <laughs> you are I right. want to go to, right, no, this, this is going to get even worse now, right? I want to go to all 92 league grounds. There was a brilliant article on this in The Athletic a few weeks ago, and I'm going backwards. I'm at like 88, 89, but as new grounds come on tap, like Brentford... I start going down my own imaginary <laughs> uh, league ladder in my head. A lot of the grounds I've not been to. I've not been to the new Wimbledon one. I've not been to Sutton United. I've not been to the new Brentford one to see a match. You've got to see a game there. So in my sick head, <laughs> I'm planning to go to London for a week and go to a lot of these grounds. Gets even worse, this. To escape from the Manchester United stuff the other day, I had a suspicion that too many teams are coming out of London and the South East and did a chart which saw that 11 of the teams in the the 5th Division, the National League, are from within 40 miles of of London and I've not been to enough of them. Places like Maidenhead and Woking. Is this something you just did off your own back in your spare time? I've got got an app which tells me how many football grounds I've, I've been to. I've not had time to fill it all up yet, mate. I've got an addiction to going to football grounds. I can't help it. I am confessing now on the podcast... I am addicted to going to new football grounds and I am happy as a pig in shit going to somewhere like Barrow by myself, paying to stand on a terrace, buying a programme. Programmes are not as good as they used to be, by the way, and having pie and chips. That, for me, is a release. If there's a counsellor listening to this, just just, just help me. But <laughs> I've been addicted since I was um, four years old. I go and watch my dad play football. I get back in the car. Sports report would come on on the BBC bring it back BBC with the fantastic music classified football love results would be read out wouldn't absolutely they absolutely love it no one seems to mention that being cancelled yeah. Manchester United 2 Arsenal and, and I miss it and maybe that was a throwback but there you go but I've still not been to Brentford I'm not going to the Brentford game I'm watching it on television I'm absolutely gutted about that we've received an invitation to go to a pub in Brentford and I'm passing that on to the, the Reds who are going there I mean, everyone needs to fix a barrel every now and then, don't they, in fairness? Um, let's just talk briefly about team news because do we expect changes after Brighton? Is that one thing that perhaps as fans we could we could look forward to, Carla, a different start in 11? There's a few people whose performances were well below what we expected and I wonder where Ronaldo's fitness is after another week of training and also the minutes he got at Old Trafford as well. The Ronaldo situation will be particularly interesting. This is based on nothing but a weird twinge I've got in my gut. I would think that might also be influenced by the fact United are going to be playing Liverpool quite soon as well. Ronaldo basically has a soft alarm clock of you need 100% match fitness and match sharpness if you want to play against Liverpool. And I would expect Manchester United would prefer to have as many attacking options as possible for that game as well. So that'll be something to, to, to pay attention to. There might be a change at left back again, based on nothing. Gut twinge. Luke Shaw looked particularly off it against Brighton and, and Tyrone last year. Looked really good at preseason, so maybe that'd be one as well. But other than that, I think you, you, you're looking largely at the same starting eleven. I'd be surprised if there were changes elsewhere. 
Okay. Um, Ollie, our producer, Andy, as well, has just written in the notes that the forecast says 36 degrees for Brentford on Saturday uh, for the match. I mean, you're missing out, mate. You need to get yourself over here. I've been over it enough. That, that, that's the problem. I've been going too much. <laughs> 36 degrees in Brentford. You know, you'd be having those pints at the pub with the people who invited you. It sounds like a lovely afternoon. And you tick it off. It's done then. You don't have to worry about it. You can go and get your maidenhead mind in order. Or whatever. So this is another problem I've got. You say having those pints in the pub, right? If I'm going to a match as a journalist, I'm not allowed to have pints in a pub before the game because it's really unprofessional of me to go into a press box. So I can go into an away end and trust me, before Liverpool away last year, you needed to have pints to go into that away end <laughs> because you knew what you knew what was coming. But then I run to, into a battle with my mates who say, go have three or four pints before a match. I'm like, I can't. I've, I've got to go and work. What you do is not work. You're just watching a match. You're just having a laugh. That's not work. What we do is work. We fit windows. We repair things. We produce things. You just watch a game of football talk a bit of shit about it and get paid for it. Yeah, fair comment. There you go. I will, I will go I will go to Brentford before this year is out, mate. I'm planning. I've got a few little schemes just working out. And there's another point, a more serious point. Travel is really complicated at the moment. Airports are really complicated at the moment. And can't wait for August to tick into September. Flights <laughs> are really expensive at the moment. I cannot wait for the Europa League. I'm seeing some of the teams. This is becoming apparent this week. I'm just trying to cheer people up here because this yeah. podcast has been too miserable. <laughs> I'm seeing the prospect of a trip to Berlin. That would be brilliant. Freiburg in Germany. Yeah. Um, Cyprus. And I'm thinking, who needs a Champions League, Frankie? You could be going to Cyprus in September. Get yourself on a beach. The world will start to look a little bit better. And then there's some of the old favourites that aren't so good to get to, like Mitchelland in Denmark, where they charge you like five grand for a ticket, or or Graz in Austria, where I once went with Manchester United and it was absolutely freezing. And far from 36 degrees. Playing football in 36 degrees is dangerous. So I hope that the players are prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. For the first six months, go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the minute, Carl, thank you very much for being back with us. Andy, thank you as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Athletic.